Let's kneel together and let's seek the Lord together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, we thank you so very, very much for your love and care for each and every one of us. You loved us so much that you gave up Jesus. Not just for 33 years, uh, but for possibly all eternity. That was a huge risk. And yet you did it because you love us. And uh, Lord, uh, we praise your name for that. Uh, we often feel our unworthiness, but you value us, and you value us so uh, immensely. And so, Lord, give us a grace and uh, change our hearts uh, so that we will see value in each other as you see in us. Father, I pray that you will send the Holy Spirit to be with us here today. Surround each and every one of us. Uh, forgive us our sins, Lord. We claim the blood that Jesus shed there at Calvary so that we may have eternal life. Help us, Lord, to uh, turn away from such things that, that not, are not according to thy will. And Father, you've heard the prayer requests here today and the praises. I pray that you be with this church family, with all our families. Uh, the devil knows that a Christian family uh, will do the greatest harm to his cause. And so, Lord, I pray that you surround each and every family. May there be a heavenly influence within each family. Um, when we see uh, death around us, uh, we, we are saddened. When it hits close to home, uh, I think, Lord, maybe it awakens us a bit to eternal truths. And so, Lord, uh, especially our young people here, uh, I pray that you will surround them and open their eyes that this controversy is indeed real. And it is for eternal life or eternal death. And that our decisions that you give us freely uh, will uh, dictate which destiny is ours. And so I pray especially for them and all of us who are struggling. You give us the strength we need to stand for, for what is true. Uh, Lord, uh, Tim witnessed to a young man named Joshua, and he was given books. I pray that heavenly angels surround him and, and that he will be influenced uh, to read these books and that he will be in the kingdom. And uh, Lord, uh, all our friends that we have, and Jeanette has a friend who, who's had a stroke. Her name's Rose, and, and, and uh, she has a friend that she's going to visit who's Catholic. And we care for these dear people. Give, give us each the ability, the, the gift, and the words to speak, as you've promised, to touch hearts and plant seeds. May the Holy Spirit water our efforts. Um, Kathy has nephews that are doing drugs. Uh, and Lord, that's a, that's a sign of a broken heart, a heart that's in need of the love of God. And you know these things and details more intimately than we will ever know. We pray that you especially be with those two young men, uh, that they will come to see Jesus. Uh, and may, he, may they see Jesus in us and uh, be drawn to him. Uh, may we lift him up. Uh, Christine has a dear friend who passed away. Um, and it's very sad when we suspect uh, that we may never see them again. Uh, that they haven't given themselves to the Lord. And so, Lord, be very near to her. Uh, and uh, may we have hope. Uh, 
to see our loved ones again. And uh, uh, Jerry's daughter, she's having job issues. There are a lot of people here in this state that have job issues, uh, that need employment. And uh, guide and direct them, Lord. We know uh, that you care for us deeply and that uh, uh, you will supply our needs if we will just uh, believe and walk in faith. And Lord, give me the words to speak today. It's a very uh, important subject that you've brought to me to give to the congregation. Uh, May we indeed have open hearts and minds to accept the truth and uh, to share it, be grounded in it, and be prepared for the latter rain. We thank you so much for Jesus and his life and death for us and ministry for us. And may whatever we think and do and say, especially today, bring glory to his name. For we ask this in his name. Amen. I want to begin our study together by looking at a familiar warning, essentially, is is what it is. It's a warning given to those who uh, live at the time just before Jesus returns. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. And it is a warning here. This is Paul speaking. He says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, isn't he? The Holy Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The most effective, and this has been sadly uh, uh, part of my experience and maybe you, you've seen this yourself. But the most effective and deceptive opponents of the church are former members. Former members who set forth a, a good word, I guess, to use would be cunning. A cunning mixture of error and truth. In fact, we've been told that our worst enemies before it's all said and done will be those that were our former brethren. Isn't that right? We must be very careful, beloved, to know our Bible very well. Very well. Or at least understand correct principles of study. Um, Because, my friends, we are the ones who are living in the time that Paul is speaking about. And Satan is working mightily to seduce the righteous. There are many who have departed from the faith. And there are many who still go to the same church who have departed from the faith on the inside. And they've given heed to seducing. And that's a word that also means wandering. They're wandering spirits. They're looking for people to seduce. They've given heed to doctrines of devils. They are inspired by Satan and not by the Spirit of God. I want to share this with you. It's from the book Mind, Character, and Personality. That would be, let's see, MCP is the abbreviation. Uh, Volume 1, page 38. We are living in a time when every phase of fanaticism will press its way in among believers and unbelievers. Every phase. Satan will come in speaking lies in hypocrisy. 
Everything that He can invent to deceive men and women will be brought forward. Now, our enemy is a very powerful foe. Would you agree? Very powerful foe. He is much more powerful than us. Thank God we have a Savior. When it says everything that He can invent, that's a lot. Isn't it? That's a lot. The last time we were together, we had an interesting experience. Uh, We had an interesting experience with a new visitor. And some of you may have had uh, uh, some experience with him, but after most of you left, uh, uh, those who remained had a... um, probably a valuable experience as well as interesting. Um, And this type of visitor, and I'm not speaking about him personally, okay? In a general way. Uh, they're becoming very prevalent throughout Adventism. They go about the churches proclaiming a new light or a new interpretation. Uh, They'll tell you their old beliefs that we need to return to. Okay? I don't know if any of you have run into this before, but believe me, I have several times. They'll say, no, we've gotten away from the old beliefs. Um, But upon examination, you'll discover that they're, they're actually the same old lies. Now, they are doing the work of the devil. And by the way, there are a lot of people who are doing the work of the devil. Would you agree? There are a lot of people who are doing the work of the devil that think they're doing the work for God. Would you agree? We need to know our Bibles. We need to know our our Bibles. We need to know the inspired writings. Um... They go about recruiting members to the devil's cause. Now, they may not have decided this is what I'm going to do. You see, that's uh, the power of deception. And I want to tell you that unless we want to be deceived by such a spirit, uh, we need to stick very close to Jesus. Very, very close. And the Holy Spirit-inspired Word, we need to be very close to that. Which means we need to eat of the Word as much as possible. And rightly so. You know, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Amen? Now, most of these individuals, they're very nice. They're very nice. They're well-behaved people, for the most part, uh, usually until you disagree with them. Um but is truth determined by the behavior of a person? I want you to think about that for a while. It's not. Don't get me wrong. It's not. It is the Word of God that's to be our safeguard, isn't it? And it needs to be rightly understood using correct principles of study. And by the way, God has given us those principles in His Word. You know, most of us, and I, well, I, I won't speak for you. I was raised in a worldly educational system. And there are some good methods of learning in there, but there are a lot of methods that aren't biblical. <laughs> you know? And you will, what, what's the old saying? A, a, a clock that's busted will be right twice a day. Every once in a while, yeah, you'll get some truth. Just because, uh, you know, a blind pig will find an acorn every once in a while, right? 
But there are principles that God has laid out, and, and He has laid them in His Bible for a reason. You see, because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Our scripture reading for today, 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, I want you to understand, that's not saying read, is it? Now, of course, to study, you have to read. It's good to read the Bible, isn't it? But Paul is saying we need to study it, not just read it. We need to study it. He says study, why? To show thyself approved unto God. How do you show that you're approved unto God? You live what is in His Word. You don't just have it up here, right? He says a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And that's very important, rightly dividing. Uh, uh, one of the biggest reasons there is so much, there is so much confusion out there in Christendom and so many denominations is because the Word of God has not been rightly divided. And I don't know about you, but I run into this quite a lot in discussing the Scriptures with others, and that is the failure to study the Bible correctly and rightly understand it. And let me tell you, when you come in contact with those who have been seduced by Satan, they will produce page after page of supposed support for their interpretation. They will. This young man kept going back and saying, I have hundreds and hundreds of pages here. I've got the whole Bible. If it's not rightly divided, what good is it to me? Amen? Amen. So, a lot of people get confused by that. Just because they lay... You know, I've, I've, I've talked to uh, and had discussions with those in the Shepherd Rods movement, and they will produce Scripture after Scripture and page after page but it's not rightly divided. It's not rightly interpreted. They wholeheartedly believe, though, friends, that they have rightly divided the Word, and that's what makes it so difficult to reason from the Scriptures with them. I've entitled this study a fanatical spirit, and that's what we deal with. And it is a spirit, and it's not the Spirit of God. They will speak quickly. They'll move from point to point so fast that it's hard to keep up. These are some of the traits. And I've recognized it because I've dealt with it so many different times. You start to see traits of this spirit. That causes confusion. See? And then there's suggestions. What happens is, they're moving so fast, what they've done is, they've made suggestions that are planted into your mind. It's a form of mesmerism. And believe me, it is. Satan wants our minds to be open to him so he can plant these things so they'll be watered later on, see. God doesn't work in such a way. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, the Lord says, Come now and let us reason together. Reasoning. That's why He's given us a mind. That's why it's important to protect our mind. Not to put things into our body that destroys our mind. God says, come now let us reason together. And by the way, that's a biblical principle. That's a principle. We are to come to God and ask for His guidance 
in determining what the Scriptures reveal. We are to reason from the Scriptures, not come to the Scriptures with a belief and look for evidence that supports it. When I came to know Jesus, I, I picked up the Bible and I read it through three times. That was my introduction to Christ. I wanted to know what it said. I didn't go to it saying, well, let me find out what I already know. And there is a difference, isn't there? I went to the Lord on my knees and I said, I want to know what the truth is. And He'll answer that prayer. (laughs) And He hasn't stopped. Praise His name. When you add or take away from the Word of God, which includes all Holy Spirit-inspired writings, all of them, it includes the writings of Ellen White, when you add or take away, you have been seduced by a fanatical spirit. And you're in danger of promoting doctrines of devils. Here's another one from Gospel Workers, page 316. I'm going to probably move quickly here this morning. As the end draws near, do we not see that? Do we not see the end drawing near? I don't know uh, about you, but this is not the same world that I grew up in. This is not the same world ten years ago. Or five. It's going fast, isn't it? And it isn't just students of prophecy who see this. There is a world out there that knows that something is going on. It is not the same. Something has changed. Now, of course, there's there's a, a myriad of of uh, 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 interpretations, theories out there as to why but the Bible student knows why and it behooves us to do the Lord's will and share why what an opportunity for us friends she says as the end draws near the enemy will work with all his power to bring in fanaticism among us He would rejoice to see Seventh-day Adventists going to such extremes that they would be branded by the world as a body of fanatics. You know, when I talk about that being a principle, come let us reason together. The principle is common sense reasoning. I have seen people attempt to witness to someone who's an unbeliever who is interested and destroy their witness. Because that person, though a worldling and not understanding God, has common sense. And the person trying to witness to them is so extreme, it has blown them out of the water. That's what fanatics do. That's their position. And a lot of people that we know who who don't know Christ have common sense. Why else would Satan want to bring fanaticism in among us? Why else would he want God's remnant people to be looked at as fanatics? Because people can detect a fanatic, an extremist. It goes against common sense. Now, I'm not saying all things. 
but the extreme things. Like she says, Against this danger, she says, I am bidden to warn ministers and lay members. Our work is to reach men and women to build on a true foundation, to plant their feet on a plain what? Thus saith the Lord. Friends, I'm going to tell you, fanatics will use a lot of Scriptures, but there won't be one that you can find in there that's really a thus saith the Lord. They're theories. And that's dangerous. I quite often run into some major forms of fanaticism. I'm going to speak about some examples in just a moment uh, to give you a heads up because before it's all said and done, each of us, every one of us who takes the name of Christ will be confronted by those of a fanatical spirit at some time. You will. You read the Gospels. It happened quite a lot. You look at the Advent movement. Well, you look at Protestantism. It's nothing new. You look at the Reformation, same thing. You look at the Advent movement, same thing. Why is that? We're told in 1 Peter 5.8 that we are to be sober, to be vigilant. That means you don't let your guard down. You stand your post. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, what's he doing? He's walking around, isn't he? He's wandering. Remember we read? Seducing spirits, wandering spirits. It's on the prowl, that's right. Seeking whom he may devour. And the devil is seeking to devour us and he'll do it any way that he possibly can. Anyway. Our families. What we introduce into our home has consequences. We need to be very careful, don't we? Thank God we have Jesus on our side, beloved. Jesus said in John 10, and you can take this as incredible encouragement, Jesus said in John 10 that not one true sheep will be taken out of His hands. Not one. Not one sheep will be lost. Jesus has promised and has given us all the help and abilities so that one single soul needs not to be lost. And you know something? Since the beginning of time, not a single soul has ever had to be lost. God has made ample provision. And yet the sad thing is, while God has made ample provision that all may be saved, the sad thing is that so few people are actually saved. One of the happiest days of my life wasn't just my wedding or the birth of my children. It was to see my dad baptized. If you knew my dad before then, I mean, you talk about miracles. I I worked on him and worked on him. And my brother worked on him. I mean... And it was when we weren't even going to church anymore. We had a call and invitation to Dad's baptism and I just praised God. So you see, there I have hope in my heart to see Him again. Not one soul needs to be lost. 
In the days of Noah, there were only eight people that got on the ark. Isn't that true? And today, in our time, just before Jesus comes, there's going to be a remnant. Not going to be a lot of people. And sometimes that discourages those who are walking and have, have hard times. Don't let that discourage you. Jesus has promised, I'll hold on to you. Trust Him. That's all He's asking for. Has He ever let anyone down? Isn't He dependable? Isn't He trustworthy? Is the devil trustworthy? Are we trustworthy? No. Jesus is, isn't He? Every time. Now the reason that there are so few who are saved and who will be saved, although all can be saved, is because most of us have learned, like Eve, uh, there in the garden, to trust our own wisdom of what is right and wrong. You remember that Satan came down and said to Eve, Has God said that you should not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And she said, Yeah, He has. And then the devil said, God knows that in that day you eat of it, you will be like what? You'll be like God. But what about God? Knowing good and evil. You won't need Him to tell you what to do anymore. You're going to know it, see? Is that trustworthy? How do you know? I say because we've experienced it, haven't we? Experience is a good teacher, isn't it? Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Can there be something that absolutely seems so right, yet be absolutely wrong? Well, of course. Many times, yes. That's the great danger in wandering away from God like Eve did from Adam. That's the great danger. Millions of people are worshiping on Sunday, aren't they? Believing that they are keeping God's holy day, but they are wrong, aren't they? And many people will be lost, not because they were deceived, but because they didn't believe the truth when God presented it to them. When God presented to them the truth of the Sabbath, they held on to their false ideas. And by holding on to their false ideas, what happened? They rejected what was true. And so millions and millions of people are going to be lost while they think they're serving God and they think they're doing what's right. Now let me tell you, while Satan is interested in the Sunday keepers, his greatest concern is with Sabbath keepers. You agree with that? The Bible says that he'll come down with great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, who? The very elect. Especially the very elect. And Satan's greatest deceptions will be with the elect. Now, true deception is one that we do not perceive. It is one that we perceive to actually be true. Isn't that right? 
If someone comes in and deceives you with a counterfeit $5 bill, let's say, if it's a good enough counterfeit, it'll be one that you believe is an actual $5 bill. Isn't that right? And so you take the money and you believe it's a true piece of money even though it's a counterfeit piece of money. And so it is that a true deception is one that we do not perceive as a deception. I mean, if we perceive it, it's no longer a true deception, is it? Now, for many of us here, is Sunday a deception? Not for us, is it? I mean, because we know about the the Sabbath. We know the truth about the Sabbath. Sunday would not be a deception to us. Well, Satan doesn't just have one deception. He has thousands of deceptions. One or more thousand for every individual. We could not begin to unravel all the deceptions of Satan, and I'm not going to try to. Uh, But we would like to share, I'd like to share two categories of deception that is sweeping through the churches and has been for a good while. There are many deceptions that fall under these two categories. One category of deception is in the area of presumption. Remember, that was one of the temptations of Christ, wasn't it? There in the desert. Now, that's coming to a place where we believe that God is so good that He will overlook sin. That He will overlook whether I uh, do not follow Him all the way or not. He is too merciful, you see. He's too kind and loving to condemn my actions. Frankly, we condemn ourselves, friends. The area of presumption is one great area in which millions and millions, the majority of the people actually are deceived. They presume that God will overlook a requirement or He will uh, uh, accept them in this area or that area. I've done a lot of good things, right? You ever heard anybody say that? I've talked to people and say, you think you'll be in heaven? Oh, absolutely. Well, I've done bad things. Everybody does. But I've done a lot of good things. That's presumption. We presume that the Lord will overlook areas of shortcomings in whatever it may be, our education, our home life, belief, teachings, keeping of the commandments. And that is the theology of presumption, where we presume that God is not particular. It's often called the new theology. Uh, Yet it's anything but new. And this new theology is sweeping hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Adventists, off the platform of truth and to destruction. Remember, he does care about Sunday keepers, but his main concern is who? Sabbath keepers. True Sabbath keepers, not Saturday keepers. But there's another category that is fully as dangerous as that of presumption. And that is termed legalism. Think of a narrow pathway that goes up. Remember Ellen White had a vision about that. Think of a narrow pathway that goes up that leads to heaven. And on each side of that pathway is a very steep ditch. And it's, it's so steep that it's, it's almost impossible, or let's say, not impossible, but let's say very difficult to climb out of. One ditch is presumption. 
and the other is legalism. Legalism is resting on one's own works for salvation, essentially. Now what the Lord wants, He wants us to walk the pathway with Him. But if we run ahead, we can go in the ditch. If we lag behind, we can go in the ditch. If we add to or take away from God's Word, we can go in the ditch, can't we? While the devil is trying to keep the majority occupied in areas of worldliness, there are some he is trying to deceive in areas of fanaticism that he knows he will never be able to deceive with worldly enticements. You see? So I'd like to take this time to look at the area of fanaticism. It's part of this legalism. That's what legalism will lead to, is fanaticism. And it tends to be more prevalent within the Advent movement. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines fanaticism in this way. Excessive enthusiasm. Wild and extravagant notions of religion. Religious frenzy. It's actually a pretty good study and I'd encourage you if you have access to uh, Sister White's writings to, to do a topic, a study on fanatics, fanaticism because it was dealt with a lot. And many times she talks about this religious frenzy, a lot of emotion. You see, the devil can gain access to our minds through our senses. That's how he attacks our mind. And he'll get us stirred up into emotions and that way he can plant seeds into our mind. That's what's so dangerous about the NLP and the mesmerism, the hypnotism. You know, you go into a lot of the conference churches and there's a huge danger there because they're trained in it today. They have been for a great number of years. Loosen you up a little bit. Have you ever noticed, uh, I'll give you an example, not within Adventism, I'll give you an example of the Catholic Church. Whenever the Pope travels... When he came here the last time to the United States, they have huge youth rallies. And you know what they play in those youth rallies? Rock music. Now some of our young people are going, oh, there's nothing wrong with rock. You know what that does? Gets your pituitary gland going. It gets you all hyped up in emotion. And there, you're just bait. Easy pickings for the devil to come into your mind and plant seeds and notions and theories. They have a big youth rally. They have rock bands come in and play and then the Pope makes an appearance. Kind of sounds a little bit like Daniel's day, doesn't it? And you will bow down because you've already given up your mind. Religious frenzy. Remember Elijah there? Mount Carmel? What were the prophets of Baal doing? Dancing around? All kinds of uh, ungodly music? Cutting themselves? Friends, this is a pattern. (laughs) What I run into most often are the wild and extravagant notions of religion. In Adventism anyway. And this should not be a surprise really to any of us. (laughs) 
Remember what uh, Ellen White said, as the end draws near, the enemy will work with all his power to bring in fanaticism among us. Remember? We read that. She's speaking about the remnant people of God, isn't she? That includes us. Now, I'm simple enough that when the Lord tells me something, I believe that it's true. And it's something I need to be careful of. And so if the Lord says that the devil will work with all his power to bring in fanaticism among us, then I believe it to be true. What about you? In fact, I know it's true for I see it happening and deal with it really all too often. Here's another one. Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 14. Every phase of fanaticism and erroneous theories claiming to be the truth will be brought in among the remnant people of God. These will fill minds with erroneous sentiments which have no part in the truth for this time. Every phase of fanaticism covers quite a lot, don't you think? I remember reading, this is a long time ago, I remember reading that an Adventist minister actually went through and he documented nearly 25 different fanatical teachings that are prevalent in the movement. 25. And that was probably two decades ago. And there are so many tangents of these fanatical teachings too. In every case though, there is a denial. Here's a heads up for you, beloved. In every case, you will find a denial of inspired writings even though they will show pages of supposed proof from those writings. You understand what I'm saying? You have the Godhead fanatics that teach that the Holy Spirit's not the third person of the Godhead, but just the essence of Jesus. And there are various multiple tangents from that. The spirit, the spirit of prophecy was changed or tampered with. Fanatics. You have those. The God does not kill fanatics. The churches are all Babylon fanatics. The dress and health reform fanatics. The probation has closed fanatics. Flee to the mountain fanatics. And on and on and on and on. And I'll speak to a couple of uh, examples in just a moment. Now what makes it so enticing to many people is that there are areas of truth to these fanaticisms. And that's the real danger, isn't it? Unless you have your eyes single to God and are converted and walk by faith, you will fall within one of the two ditches of presumption or legalism. Or you might just bounce back and forth. This isn't something new. God's prophets from Peter and Paul to Wesley to Luther and others have had to fight against this. And the reason why is because it's a successful method. Sad to say. It derails a lot of people. Notice this, Acts of the Apostles, page 348. In every age, Satan has sought to impair the efforts of God's servants by introducing into the church a spirit of fanaticism. She says, in every age. Thus it was in Paul's day, and thus it was in later centuries during the time of the Reformation. Wycliffe, Luther, and many others who blessed the world by their influence and their faith encountered the wiles by which the enemy seeks to lead into fanaticism. Notice this. Overzealous, unbalanced, 
and unsanctified minds. Those are the people primarily that get led into fanaticism. They're overzealous, they're unbalanced in their walk, or, and they have an unsanctified mind. This is one important reason why Paul tells us we are to have a mind like that of Christ. He said in Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, the mind of Jesus was zealous of good works, not overzealous. His mind is balanced and sanctified. Jesus was not presumptuous or fanatical. He's our example, isn't He? And this is very very important, I think, for us to contemplate. If we do not have a mind like that of Jesus, then we will be fanatical to some degree about something, for it is in having the attributes of His mind that will keep us balanced and sanctified. So if we do not possess the same mindset of Christ, we run into many challenges, especially when it comes to making righteous decisions and having discernment. Is it possible for us to accurately judge right and wrong without possessing something of the mindset of Christ? No. We'll either become presumptuous or legalistic, which will lead to fanaticism. In fact, until we are made perfect in Christ, we will be extreme in some areas of our life. Have you ever thought of that? The key is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, isn't it? And to make the changes from extremism to the balance of Christ when it's brought to us. Otherwise known as having a teachable spirit. Something that fanatics do not have. Now the devil really doesn't care which camp he gets us into as long as he can keep us from following Jesus all the way. If he can get us to fall short of the Lord's Word or if he can get us to go beyond God's Word, either one will suit his purpose. You'll always find that someone who is a fanatic has either added to or taken away from God's Word, like I've said before. And by the way, they also, that becomes their gospel. That is their message. They beat that one drum. And most often, they do not give the three angels messages, which is our mission at this time, isn't it? No, it's that one subject, that one issue, that one drum. And they beat it, and they beat it, and they beat it. More and more I run into Adventists that take the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and they try to find things in which they can be more righteous than others. Have you had that experience? Sharon's back there, yes. If you haven't, you will. This is what the Pharisees did, didn't it? Isn't that what they did? They started studying and they started improving, supposedly, uh, on what God had given They ran ahead of the light and into darkness, believing that the darkness was greater light. That's the deception, isn't it? How does somebody call 
light darkness and darkness light if they haven't been deceived. Now, don't I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. We are to follow everything God says. Isn't that true? But some people have a tendency and a temptation to go even beyond what God says and read into His Word things that aren't there, thinking that they are earning their way somehow uh, to heaven by being more righteous than the other. You know, I'm more educated than you are. I know the Bible more than you do. Surely, Pastor Joel, you don't believe that. That's been said to me when I've been with fanaticals. Oh, surely you don't believe that. Look at all, all this that I have. Well, I have this Scripture here and this Scripture and this one here, and it tells me. That's another thing. God does not... He tells us to study. God does not require us to dig to China to understand. We just need to have a... We just need to have the faith of a child and we will be taught. Do you remember the prayer of the Pharisee? Luke 18, verse 11. Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee that I'm not as other men are. (laughs) Extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this publican. Again, the deception is that a fanatic will not recognize that they're a fanatic. Just as the Pharisee couldn't see that he was a self that he was self-righteous and he was deceived. He believed him to himself to be more pious because of his study. He believed God had led him into all that, see? Here's a, a quote from Review and Herald. It's an article, Seek First the Kingdom of God, January 24, 1893. She said, Satan is now working with all his insinuating, deceiving power to lead men away from the work. What's our work? Three angels' messages. And what's he? does he want us given the three angels' messages? Pointing out who Babylon is, who his, his uh, representative is on this earth? Well, of course not. Satan is now working with all his insinuating, deceiving power to lead men away from the work of the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with mighty power. When the enemy sees that the Lord is blessing His people and preparing them to discern His delusions, he will work with his masterly power to bring in fanaticism on one hand and cold formalism on the other. There's the two ditches. Cold formalism is presumption. And there's a, you know what comes with presumption too? There's like an indifference. That's like a fruit of presumption. There's an indifference. Oh, I'm saved. I'm in the church, I'm saved. It doesn't matter. That's presumption, isn't it? She says, bring in fanaticism on one hand, cold formalism on the other, that he may gather in a harvest of souls. Now is the time to watch unceasingly. Watch for the first step of advance that Satan may make among us. I believe that we are encountering the wiles of our enemy today, right now. And the only way we can stop the devil in his tracks is by the Word of God and the love for the truth. And Jesus is the truth, isn't He? You need to love Jesus. 
why I ask young people and I ask people, do you love Jesus? Because if you love Jesus, your fruits will show it. Do you love Him? We're to take the Bible as it reads and not add to or take away from what it says. That's something that gets glossed over. And we've got to use correct principles of study or we'll be led into one ditch or the other. Now I'd like to look at just a couple examples of fanaticism real quickly here because we can never exhaust all the areas. Uh, And by the way, that's why the Lord teaches us principles of righteousness. That's why somebody comes to you and says, where does it say in the Bible that I can't do such and such? Specifically. Well, God gives us principles. Isn't that what the commandments are? Principles? He gives us principles of righteousness so we don't have to exhaustively deal with every one of the devil's rabbits because he'll unleash a lot of rabbits on us. He wants us chasing his rabbits as they take us away from giving what? The three angels' messages. Let me start out with one example that I think has been around so long that many believe it to be the truth. You know, it's said that uh, if somebody repeats a lie often enough, people begin to believe it's the truth. And that's uh, the case with this area of fanaticism. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, please. We're going to take a look here as quickly as possible. I might not get to the second one. I don't want to keep everyone too long. Galatians chapter 3. Paul talks about Peter being led into areas of keeping feast days and circumcision. And he talks in Galatians 3 about the Spirit versus the law. And then he comes down, if you go to verse 19, notice what he says. He says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of what? Transgressions. Now stop here for a moment. Was the Seventh-day Sabbath added because of transgression? When was the Sabbath given? Before anyone had transgressed, isn't that right? Way back in the Garden of Eden. Before anyone had committed a single sin, the Sabbath was instituted. So the Sabbath was not added because of sin. What were some things that were added because of transgression? What about... Animal sacrifices. That was added. Uh, did Adam and Eve sacrifice any animals before they'd sinned? No. What about circumcision? That was added, wasn't it? What about all the earthly sanctuary rituals? Was that added or was that instituted at the beginning? That was added, wasn't it? It was all part of the ceremonial law, the ordinances that was given and repeated as, you know, at Sinai. Now, we still have the everlasting sanctuary and the priesthood of Jesus and His sacrifice that was made once and for all, don't we? Uh, that's all part of the new covenant. Uh, but, there, but here we have the law of ordinances that was given to Moses, remember? And so Paul says, let's go back to verse 19. Paul's saying here, he says, Wherefore then serveth the law, it was added because of transgressions, So what law is being spoken of? It was added because of transgressions. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments, is he? Because that's where the Sabbath is found. 
He says it was added because of transgressions. But what I want to pay particular attention to is it was added until when? And the Bible is very specific. What's it say? Till the... What? Seed. Seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now some people have tried to interpret and write their own Bibles. And they've decided that all these ceremonies were added until the ceremonies were fulfilled. And so, the Feast of Tabernacles, it's not fulfilled until the future, you see. Or the scapegoat being taken out into the wilderness. That uh, uh, is the thousand years, isn't it? Uh, so, we have to carry on these feast days till they are fulfilled. You see what I'm saying? But... That's not what the Bible says, is it? What did we just read? You see, they have their own Bible. But what God's Bible says, it says that these things were added until they were fulfilled. Right? No. That was a trick question. They were added till when? Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Isn't that what your Bible says? That's what my Bible says. Who is the seed? How do you know? Look at verse 16. It tells you right there. Verse 16. So, there were certain things that were not yet fulfilled when Jesus died because the Old Covenant was the, the whole plan of salvation in miniature, wasn't it? And not everything was fulfilled at the cross like most of Christendom says. Some things were fulfilled in 1844, weren't they? And we're talking about the ministry of Christ, aren't we? Some things are going to be fulfilled when we go to heaven during the thousand years. And some things are going to be fulfilled at the end of the thousand years. Isn't that true? Various things are fulfilled at different periods of time. But the ceremonies were only given until the seed should come. Don't gloss over it, please. Don't miss that. Now, what are some of the things that were added after sin? Look with me at Galatians 4. I want to make sure we understand this because this is becoming so very prevalent in the movement. Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe, and notice what he's talking about here. He says days, that's the various daily ceremonies, and months and times, that's seasonal and monthly ceremonies, and years, he's talking about the Jubilee. Now see, we have the Jubilee and we have the Passover. We have the Day of Atonement. We have these various things that were added after the fall. And Paul then says, I am happy for you. Is that what he says? Friends, this is strong language that we need to pay attention to. Paul says, I'm afraid of you lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Now, notice what Paul is not saying. He's not saying, well, it's fine. Some of you keep the feast days. You that are really holy, you can keep those. And the rest of you, it's not really necessary. Is that what Paul's saying? He says, I'm afraid of you who are keeping these feast days lest I've labored for you in vain. Now he goes on 
in verse 22 and onward, and he talks about those who are holding on to the ceremonies given at Sinai, and he compares them to Hagar and Ishmael. And I'm, I'm going through it quick, friends, but I encourage you to study it for yourself, as with all things. Look at verse 30. He says, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So friends, what Paul is doing, he's comparing those who are keeping the feasts as the bondwoman and those who follow the seed, who is Jesus Christ, as the free woman. And what did he say that needs to be done to the bondwoman? Needs to be cast out. So Paul says we're not to allow those who continue to keep the feast days to be a part and parcel of God's holy church. That's strong language, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. To believe such, you see, is a, is a cause for disfellowshipping, according to Paul. He says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. What does it mean to cast out? Well, it means that they're in apostasy. They're in an area of fanaticism. Look what he says in the next chapter, chapter 5. This is where he brings in circumcision. Uh, Let's look at verses 1 to 3. Chapter 5. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us, what? Free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, you catching what the context is in all this? Christ shall profit you what? Nothing. I'd say that uh, this is a very serious thing, isn't it? For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Now, what is the whole law? What's he talking about here? The whole law means animal sacrifices, an earthly priesthood, feast days, etc., etc., you understand? He said, if you're going to keep the Day of Atonement, you have to, to offer an animal sacrifice. That was a part of it. That's the rest of the law. If you're going to keep the Passover, you have to offer an animal sacrifice. If you're going to keep circumcision, you have to offer an animal sacrifice. Not to mention, for these things, you have to go to Jerusalem. You won't find any feast keepers doing that. Are they listening to what Paul's saying? No. You see, you have to keep the whole ceremonial law. You can't pick and choose what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And so he says you have got to keep the whole law. Now he says in verse 4, Christ has become of what? Chapter 5, verse 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Friends, I don't know how much more plainer that can be. There can only be one conclusion when it comes to keeping the feast days after the cross. It's apostasy. And Paul was dealing with it in the early church. Here from the words and the pen of inspiration here, Gospel Workers, page 300. 
He, Paul, led them on step by step, showing them the importance of honoring the law of God. He also gave due honor to the ceremonial law, showing that Christ was the one who instituted the whole system of sacrificial service. After dwelling upon these things, evincing that he had a clear understanding of them himself, he brought his hearers down to the first advent of Christ and proved that in the crucified Jesus, the specifications of the ceremonial law had been fulfilled. When you pick up any of the ceremonial ordinances and say, we need to keep these things, you know what effectually you are doing? You are denying the seed. You are denying Christ and the Messiah. That's why you have fallen from grace. He has become no effect unto you. And that's a dangerous position to be in, isn't it? Another form of fanaticism that seems to be very closely related uh, in people's... And uh, if, you, if you give me a little more time here, friends, I'll try to get through this quick. Um... It's related to the feast days and, and other things as far as that goes. Um, at least those who believe in keeping these feast days go into this, and that's reinterpreting the prophecies. They reinterpret prophecies. Um, you see, if Ellen White uh, had not yet advanced into her experience of sanctification in the area of the feast days, <laughs> that's a polite way of saying, well, she didn't have all the light on it. Um, well, then she didn't advance very far in her understanding of prophecy either. Now, you see, what I've told you about fanaticism is they pick and choose what inspired things they want to believe and what they don't want to believe. Well, she, there are limitations to God. Well, that's not what that scripture means, or that means something else, or, you know, or in the case of Ellen White, her writings were tampered with, or you can't trust it past a certain date, or etc., etc. That's dangerous. So what they do is they go beyond our pioneers and they, they go beyond in their understanding of the closing events of earth's history. And like I said, they'll do away with a lot of inspired writings. But they'll show you page after page after page of inspired writings and say that they believe them. Well, it's all or nothing with Jesus, isn't it? Amen. Here's a statement from Evangelism, page 199. The Lord wants all to understand His providential dealings now, just now in the time in which we live. There must be no long discussions presenting new theories in regard to the prophecies which God has already made plain. He's already made them plain. One of the areas in which Satan is going to try to divert people from being ready for Jesus to come is getting them into long discussions of new interpretations of prophecy that have already been explained. They've already been, been documented in history. And there's statement after statement in the spirit of prophecy on the dangers of reinterpreting prophecies. Especially the 1260 days, the, the 1290 days, the 1335, the 2300 days. And they're beginning to apply these to the future. And one of the greatest dangers in the church today is placing a dual role upon end-time prophecies without scriptural authority to do so. And I'm going to tell you it's becoming very prevalent in Adventism by more than a few prominent ministers and ministries. 
You know, but Pastor Joel, they're doing such a wonderful work. <laughs> you know, surely what they are teaching is the truth. Let me ask you something. Would you be attracted to them if they weren't doing a wonderful work? That's a serious question. I'm amazed at how many times people will say things to me like, this minister and that minister is doing a wonderful work and, and that wonderful work and he helped me to see that the end's coming and he moved me out of the city and this thing and that thing or another thing and therefore he's saying that these, about the, what he's saying about these prophecies has to be true. Well, there is such a thing as deception, isn't there? What's our safeguard? God's Word. Hold close to Jesus. Sometimes I shudder at the reasoning of some of the press people of God. The Lord gives us warnings. And those warnings are given in order to protect us from deceptions. Isn't that true? God used an ass to warn Balaam. Should we start following donkeys because God used one for a good work? I don't think so. The Bible is our base of authority, not the work of men. Beware of such things. Take what I tell you to the Word of God and test it. And if you find where I'm off, I'd appreciate you coming and sharing it with me. One of the things I always pray for is to have a teachable spirit. Now, there are two very important things to remember about prophecy. First, once prophecy is fulfilled, the event prophesied becomes common knowledge and is documented in history. Any supposed fulfillment of prophecy where the supposed fulfillment cannot be documented should be considered as an unreliable interpretation of that prophecy. This is what is called the historicist method of interpretation. And that was held by the reformers and the Advent pioneers and uh, until the mid-1800s and Satan really attacked well, actually, you go back to the Reformation. You have uh, futurism and preterism, and that was an attack on the Reformation, which gets you into all these uh, different interpretations of prophecy and, and the, the methods of interpretation. That's the first one. Once it's been fulfilled, unless it is... And, and, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, the second thing is, it is dangerous to reapply prophecies, whether time prophecies or, or prophecies with no specific time given unless there is very, 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 I can't stress that enough, very clear and understandable inspired evidence that more than one application was intended, such as the one in Matthew 24, uh, which applies to the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world. It is specifically and clearly stated. See? Jesus didn't go completely into it, but He did later through the pen of Ellen White. But you can see it in Matthew 24. Now I'll tell you, this is not the case, again, with the 1260 years, the 1290, the 1335, the, the 2300 days that you find in Daniel. They are not dual prophecies. And they have been fulfilled and documented in history. We get into areas, friends, of speculation and we begin to put our faith into interpretation of these prophecies that are uh, given, supposedly, they're given by fallible men who are not being led by the Holy Spirit. It brings confusion. One of the dangers is, one of the big ones is, um, 
that it attacks principles of interpretation. And when you have principles of interpretation done away with, what do you base your interpretation upon? You see what I'm saying? And one of the biggest ones that's under attack is a day for a year principle. You can't have it multiple, multiple times. Dual prophecies. It will become unreliable. Notice this from Manuscript Release, Volume 10, page 273. We want to understand our proper relation to God. We want to know how we stand in the presence of God. I want you to see that it is not in the providence of God that any finite man shall, by any device or reckoning that he may make of figures or of symbols or of types, know with any uh, definitiveness in regard to the very period of the Lord's coming. Now that's pretty simple. I mean, what do these words mean? Well, God means that if I come along and I say to you, I have some new wisdom. I have some new light. And sometime around September of 2012 or 2013 or 2020, whatever, Jesus is coming. Do not believe it. (laughs) It's essentially what she's saying. Now that may be, it may seem easy for us to discern uh, for those people who say it outside of Adventism, But for some reason, there are people who will suck it up if it's preached by somebody who's in Adventism. I've seen it over and over. And it's just a repeat of history. They had the same thing in the mid-1800s that Adventists were doing. Oh, the Lord's going to come in 1846. Oh, He's going to come in 1848. Oh, 1852 is going to be the year. Here's a, a familiar one that gets overlooked time and time again. Review and Herald, October 9th. Um, and I'm moving fast. 1894. There is no command for anyone to search the Scriptures in order to ascertain, if possible, when probation will close. God has no such message for any mortal lips. He would have no mortal tongue declare that which He has hidden in His secret counsels. Too often I run into Adventists that preach that probation has closed on this or that. God has no such message for what she say? Any mortal lips. That's a red flag, friends. Here's one that really gets twisted and distorted and very much ignored. This is Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 188. I know, honey, I'm, I'm hurrying up. Again and again I have been warned to re- in regard have let me start over again and again I have been warned in regard to time setting there will never again be a message for the people of God that will be based on time I don't know how much plainer that can be never again will be will there be a message for the people of God that will be based on time never again now, we say never sometimes, and we really don't mean never, do we? But this is an inspired prophet of God, and when God says never, it means never. I don't know how much plainer it can be. And it still amazes me how people can walk through these plain statements and come out as though they didn't exist or make them say something else that they never said. It's just amazing to me. In line with that, based on time, we find it in Revelation 10. And every person I've run into, and believe me, very good friends of mine who are ministers in prominent ministries and I bring this to them and they just kind of go, uh. 
there's no answer for them in their position. So they start to do away with things. See? Revelation 10, verses 5 to 6 says, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and all things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are. And it's making very clear who it's speaking of here, right? And the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. Now, let me ask you a question. Would that be literal time or prophetic time? Well, of course it's not literal time because we're still here. Verse 11 says, And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now what the angel was talking about was the end of the 2300 year prophecy of Daniel 8, wasn't he? And the Advent movement coming in. Jesus moved into the most holy place. The ark was opened up. You start to see God's law being preached. The Sabbath truth came. Were they keeping the Sabbath when they... We're looking forward to Jesus' return? No. They were Sunday keepers. They came out of the Methodist church and they were a different church. Jesus brought more light. He always does. When He moved into the most holy place, more light came. You see what I'm saying? Think about that. That was the Advent movement. And that ended in 1844. Did literal time or prophetic time end in 1844? Prophetic time. There will never again be a message for the people of God that will be based on time. Here's another one. Review and Herald. March 22nd, 1892. The Lord showed me that the message must go and that it must not be hung on time, for time will never again be a test. The thing that I'm concerned about, that I bring this to you, probably the thing that, that concerns me the most about every area of fanaticism is that it undermines the spirit of prophecy. That's my greatest concern. Now once you pull the pin out, you're like a ship without a rudder. All you have is your own human wisdom and your own human speculation to guide you. And that's where many people are today. Now tell me exactly who is the spirit of prophecy? It's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Some people I hear having to say, well, the spirit of prophecy is Ellen White. No. She was a prophet of God. It's the testimony of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And when you undermine and you cast aside any inspired writings, you grieve away the Holy Spirit. It leads to that, doesn't it? And friends, I've seen it again and again that those who undermine or put aside the inspired writings of Ellen White soon put aside the Scriptures. And then they leave God. I've seen it. I've seen people close to me who were once close to me go down that path. Review and Herald, March 22, 1892. This again. You will not be able to say that He will come in one, two, or five years. Neither are you to put off His coming by stating that it may not be for ten or twenty years. 
we are not to know the definite time either for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or for the coming of Christ. That would be the latter rain, wouldn't it? There are big projects, you know, being pushed to usher in the latter rain, and I hear some people say, "Yeah, it's falling all around us." And yeah, you got to be very careful. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a theory there. Oh, yeah. Believe me, brother Tim, I've run into to that one. Wow. And I want to tell you, friends, we can see the signs that He's near, can't we? Even at the door. I say He's at the threshold. But we cannot start using dates. We can see by all the signs that His coming is near, but we do not know the day or the hour is coming. We do not know when the latter rain uh, will begin or when probation closes. That's exactly right. Friends, it's time we become so rooted in God's Word that we're not swept off our feet with every potential tantalizing teaching that comes along. I think, I think sometimes we as Adventists, we look forward to that so urgently and we want it to happen so much that we open ourselves up to be sucked into these things. And then what happens is we become disappointed when it doesn't come to fruition. And that kills a part of our faith. The great controversy says, none but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. Our only safeguard against a fanatical spirit is by having a love for the truth as well as being a good Berean, testing everything according to the Word of God. Remember our scripture reading for today? 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. And friends, may we have the mind of Christ, a balanced mind, to rightly divide the word of truth so that we can stop the fanaticism of Satan Satan right in his tracks. Not let him gain a second step of advance. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we again thank you so very, very much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you gave us a book of instruction. And in, within this book of instruction are warnings to us. Because sometimes we, we tend to stray. Our, our, our eyes get distracted. Uh, sometimes we're like crows. Our eyes get distracted by shiny objects. And we, we take them off of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that You will give us the grace that we need to be grounded in Your Word. Encourage us change our desires in our hearts to know more and more of Jesus and to fall more and more in love with Him and be protected from all the deceptions of the devil. We know You've promised that not one sheep will be taken out of Your hand. Lord, keep us in Your hand forever. We pray in Your blessed holy name. Amen.